Well, I think, I think for both students and parents, when kids are 17, 18 years old, and because th these are, those are the huge crossroads of life. I mean, it's the, one of the first ones, I think, as far as making a lot of their own decisions. I think there needs to be a, a level of friendship there in parenting, which means that like if your friend came to you and said, this is what I'm thinking of doing, how would you respond to your friend versus I'm the one that gave birth to the child, this is my responsibility. We have responsibilities to our friends too, but sometimes we frame we frame those very differently. And I think when when your kid sees you, or as as part of their team, working with them, then then even if they fail, they're going to be fine. But then they just feel a sense of that's the real empowerment. Something I can't give a kid. I can't give a kid when when all is said and done, they graduate. But no matter what, even when they move out of the house, they're still your kid. And I think that 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 friendship is the most important gift you can give them. Welcome to Imperfect Parenting. I'm Ariel Green Anderson. My name is Mats Anderson. We're bringing you raw, real, and unfiltered stories from around the world. Are you an IP parent? I get it. You were never going to be here in that crazy family life. You looked around before as an independent, strong, creative person, and you thought, I'm not going to do that. I see what they're doing. This is how it's going to be. You had clear intentions. And then you wake up one day, you realize you've been swallowed whole somehow by the mad reality of family parenting. And you're talking to your partner in a way and to yourself that you don't even recognize anymore. Who is this person? Where did you go? You've never been fuzzy before. You'd always seen your path. I believe there's a way to get back there. I've experienced it. I've been in that madness. I still am sometimes. And I just want you to know that we're here to help work towards creating that space to reconnect with self and source and more deeply with your family and the people that matter to you and the things that matter to you. Getting back to path and pur purpose in a way that um, is powerful and that's why we're sharing stories from all over the world and next door uh, to remind ourselves that we're not alone and things cross borders but we are humans and humanity happens imperfection happens well we want to try to make it better so I'm Ariel Anderson and sometimes you're going to hear Mott Sanderson as well and uh, we're looking forward to sharing this journey with you a big hello to our new listeners in the Tyrolean Alps of Austria. Goodness, I don't know how you found us, but yay! Uh, as well in Auckland, New Zealand, and Kansas City, Kansas. And where else did I see something that would look? Oh, Kelseyville, California. Wow, a lot of Californians finding us these last weeks. Uh, that's heartwarming. Uh, that's thanks to all of you who have been pushing that share button and, uh, you know, maybe out in the Instagram world as well. We're finding some new connections. That's always, um, we have fun connecting with people through um, DMing and putting up images and things. Uh, but where we are giving some thoughts and cheat sheets and different things every so often is actually on the website at imperfectparenting.net. So now that my plug is over and I've said my thank yous, I very, very much want to introduce a dear friend and 
previous colleague, John Crane. He is a local here in Prague, he's an expat. He's been working in education for over 30 years, incredibly respected in his community and um, very well thought out uh, conversation, uh, words I wanna say, because it was sort of an intuitive conversation like we like to have. And the things that came up were just, I always love to learn new things about the people that I care about. And, you know, there's always something new that pops up. And this conversation especially gets us all thinking about education and these people who are with our kids a good part of the day in their lives. And the things that we as parents can keep in balance along with the teachers. So here we go. Let's jump in and have a conversation with John. Welcome, John Crane, to Imperfect Parenting Podcast. I'm so happy to have you here. I've been wanting to have you on for a while because I respect you a lot as a mind on the planet and the (laughs) creator and and a person who affects the young minds, not only mine, every person I've met you who has had strong impressions from you. You, you're a thinker, you make people think um, not only about their emotional intelligence, but also about in a multi-dimensional way. I, I was always impressed um, at school with how you presented things. But before we go deeply into that, if you could just tell us a little bit about you and what you're doing these days and mm-hmm. all of that. Uh, so I've just started my 32nd year of teaching uh, at the International School of Prague. Um, right now I teach all psychology, which I love uh, because I think it's a subject that kids, that allows kids to be empowered because it gets them to think about themselves, it gets them to think about what they want to do with their lives, but it also gets them to, to learn how to function within groups and how to be empathetic. And I mean, so there's a lot of things I love about that. But over the years, as you know, I started off teaching kindergarten uh, under communism. Uh, and then I worked my way up through elementary school. I taught, you know, social studies and mathematics and middle school, uh, and then eventually ended up teaching uh, for way too many years the rise of Hitler oh my gosh. <laughs> at the high school level. Um, and so for the last, ooh, only the last three years, we've had enough students in our school for me to be 100% psychology, which I love because uh, there's a lot of negative energy in teaching history. As much as I love history, it's... I, I think it brought me to a place in my own teaching where I sort of question what we teach in history because it's just so incredibly negative. And I'm not saying we shouldn't teach about the Holocaust and World War II, etc. But it was just, you know, an hour and a half in our school of just absolute bleak, no hope kind of classroom for an entire year. Uh, whereas I think the big goal of psychology is teaching kids that they can take control over their behaviors for the most part. Uh, they can affect change. They can. There's there's better ways and worse ways of trying to do that. Uh, and I think that they feel that there is a way to make change. Whereas I think very often when listening about current events and about history, uh, there was this feel of dis- feeling of disempowerment uh, in kids. So I really feel that where I'm at right now, my teaching, I really like. Uh, I've always enjoyed teaching. I think I'm enjoying it more now because it seems more more natural. It seems more of a team effort with the kids rather than me trying to convince them that learning about Stalin actually has some value, uh, which I still think it does, but you know, it's not always the easiest job. Well, I think that's the ultimate goal in any work, you know, is to be doing something that feels more in the flow of, of you and, uh, and, I mean, not that 
teaching history. I mean, you had a no always a lot of knowledge to offer, but I think when you when you kind of look forward to teaching something more, right. I think that's what when work starts to feel less worky and more like in tune with you a bit. And do you do you feel that um, what you're able to teach in the classroom is aligned with your own core values? And well, I think that that when I started teaching history at the high school level, I really felt that this is what I wanted to do. Okay. Um, and I think the whole time I did it, it is what I wanted to do. Uh, so teaching about the Holocaust and human rights, for example, I think that in teaching that, it was a point in my life I was very into activism. And I felt that political activism was important and talking to kids about the way we can do something about human rights. Um, I think I was able to help kids to, to see they could make a difference. I think as I've gotten older, what I like about psychology is it's not just about me going out and solving the obesity crisis, let's say, uh, or stress in the environment, but it's also working on the self more. Mm -hmm. um, and what I see with kids is we, we push a lot of them to the outside. We want them to, to be activists. We want them to do all these things. We tell them we want them to change the world, to be the leaders of the future. But we don't always spend a lot of time talking about them nurturing their sense of self, mm -hmm. uh, them taking care of themselves. And I see a lot of kids who are really highly stressed. And I think that what psychology does is it lets them learn, why am I feeling this way? How can I change it? What's normal? What's abnormal? Uh, and how do I communicate about those things? What are, the, what are the words I use to talk about how I'm feeling, what I want, what should change? And I think that's, that's sort of where I am right now in my own self. And I think that that's why right now I'm not necessarily the best Rise of Hitler teacher out there. <laughs> um, but I feel that they, uh, and maybe that's because of the political climate that's out there. I feel that a little sense of disempowerment there. So I think this is where we can make a difference. I can work on my stress. I can work on my diet. I can work on the way I learn, the way I communicate with others. Uh, so I think that that's, you're right, that's, that is what it is. It's about me being in the right place and that makes me the better teacher, I think. And, and what a gift for them because, you know, having taken a lot of psychology classes in, on, in my own lifetime on the planet, I definitely recognize the difference between uh, teachers and how they approach the topic. You know, it can be very clinical, it can be very, you know, memorize this. But what I liked in your classes that I had observed or, you know, been able to teach even mm -hmm. was uh, and is that you, you give them different perspectives. You don't, uh, at least from my experience, what I really respect and I think is so important, I wish every teacher had the capacity and the willingness to give um, perspectives that may not even be your own, but allowing them to make their own decisions or to, to be affected or make a, a choice or think about or just getting them thinking. And uh, uh, that is really, really powerful, especially as you're getting these kids before they're going to launch into the next phase of their lives, whether it's, you know, the next phase of education, which is then supposed to lead them into hopefully the, what they're going to do in their lives if right. they're lucky. And um, so it's a really important time in their growing, <laughs> growing right. up on the planet as young adults. And so uh, I think it's, they're, they're very lucky to have you and, and it's, um, and as I understand too, you're you're often um, continuing your own education in different mm -hmm. ways, which then is also a huge piece because again, not everybody. Some people think like I've learned, and there I am. You know, right. at least I've had some teachers in the past where, and you felt it. There was a a dryness in the class, and it, and you didn't feel involved. You felt like you were being taught at rather than being really a part of the process where mm -hmm. you really engage the kids. 
um, or young adults in, in different right. ways from what I saw. I mean, I don't know how it is today. This was a while ago, but... Well, I think that, that one of the things that's difficult is finding that balance with yeah. kids <laughs> between this is what the experts say right. or even this is what your highly experienced teacher says <laughs> and you need to have a voice here. Because I think on the one hand, what we see in education sometimes is that kids are taught challenge everything. But I think that that leaves them without any kind of compass as to know like, well, what's what's right? And then and I know people say there's nothing that's really right. And I disagree with that. I think mm -hmm. there are things that are more right than others. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, that sometimes they need to learn to listen to the expert. But then there's the kids who only want to listen to the experts. And they don't want to have their own thoughts. They don't want to mm -hmm. come up with their own opinions. So so it's the balance. Uh, so like last year, I was teaching about obesity research and and I wanted them to um, explore uh, obesity research, but I didn't know what to do with them. So um, I decided to take an opportunity to learn with the kids. And I said, well, let's read about mindfulness. So we read a lot about mindful eating. Uh, and we did, oh, I don't know, four or five uh, articles. Two of them were sort of, uh, you know, like, we won't say pop psychology, but they were like, like the the article for the layman. And then we read two like serious academic reviewed kind of papers. Um, and then I just said to them, let's talk about like what we want to do. And so the kids all came up with their own projects. Mm -hmm. uh, and like one boy said, well, I'm a sports student. What I want to do is I want to learn to love to eat. He said, because I eat to gain weight, because I'm a, I'm a basketball player, I have to be a certain weight. I burn off my weight very quickly. He said, so all I do is eat fast. And so he literally kept a journal where every time he'd eat something, before he'd eat something else on his plate, he'd write down like in the beginning, what did it taste like? Right, and so in the beginning of his journal, it's funny because it's like it was kind of salty. But then, as he went through through this eight week process, he started to really talk about how much I I enjoyed this more. It, you know, this reminded me of being at my grandma's house, and he started to create all of these kind of like emotional links to food. And he was talking about enjoying food more, and more importantly, eating it more slowly. So even though now his metabolism is high as he gets older, fast eating is a really bad habit, which I've tried to break many times yeah, yeah. because it's a weight it's a weight issue. Um, and then we also had a fun thing that the kids decided, some of them, that they would keep track of their, like say, their calories or their fiber. Uh, nobody dieted. That was forbidden. Good. But some of the kids right. were like, I want to know if I'm eating enough whatever. So we were all using apps and every day I would check in with them and say, so how was it going? And we ended up laughing because they were like, well, today was vegan day at school. So I could have had the vegan option, but I didn't take it because I didn't know how to enter the beef, <laughs> not the beef, the beet uh, the beet casserole into my app. So I ate the salmon instead because I knew how to enter, it, you know. And so we ended up with this whole wonderful discussion about how maybe technology isn't helping us, but actually in some ways is dictating our behaviors. Even though we think it's helping us, it may actually be uh, limiting us and who we can be. Um, and, and those kind of excite, that's kind of exciting learning because even though we have to learn these specific theories for the curriculum we're learning, at the same time we're exploring together and learning um, and the kids ran their own seminar while I was gone for a workshop and they recorded it for me and then I, on my vacation, I listened to them and there was a lot of really good deep thinking, a lot of honesty, a lot of thinking about how their culture affects their eating habits or, you know, their own sense of like, do they really have control or like, do they not have control? I don't mean like self-control, like, like I can't not eat chocolate, but just, you know, do my parents put pressure on me? Does the society put pressure on me? Um, and talking about how difficult it was to resist that. And I don't expect them to solve these problems in my class, but the awareness of it, I think, is perfect. You know, So if they can leave my classroom knowing that there's a whole bunch of people that affect their lives, 
And the question is, how do I deal with that in the future? That is a good opening of a conversation. And, and you know, we, this topic is quite large in our household. You know, Mats has been an athlete and competitive athlete for, since he was a child. And, yeah. and so he and his sister, they've decided that they've been on pretty much almost every diet there's ever been on in existence, or at least the really popular ones. Um, those were some of the books that went in the purge, actually. <laughs> <laughs> like, we don't need these anymore. But also because Ella is three now. And mm -hmm. one of the things um, that becomes a discussion when we go to visit other people, for example, is uh, that we let Ella eat intuitively. When her body is full, we respect that it's full. We don't tell her to clear her plate. And at the same time, she's... Uh, because we've always had that discussion with her, I've always said, you know, are you full? Are you hungry? And really got her thinking about that rather than only like it's 12 o'clock. This right. is when we eat, right. which I know that when they're in school or they're at work, it's another issue. But she's got these first years. I'm hoping for her to learn to listen to her body in a way that I'm not sure that w we definitely didn't. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, you know, mm -hmm. we had a very different, you know, there's people dying in Somalia, you should be, or whatever, whatever the conversation was in the 70s, you know, it was, you know, you clear, you finish your food and don't waste things and whatnot. And Ella actually uses those terms now. My body says that I'm full. My body <laughs> is empty. Right. And she really is aware of that. And, and her body really does function in that way where she's aware that, you know, she empties her body and usually we know within, you know, 10 to 20 minutes we need to get some food on the table or for her and um, one day she'll be absolutely vegan. She won't touch me, absolutely mm -hmm. won't do it. And then three days later she just is consuming every piece of animal she can mm -hmm. find. And, you know, even though I'm a vegetarian and often vegan, uh, I felt it was important for her to find her own way, to listen right. to her own body type and what it is. and. So I think it's, you know, not everybody gets that, and I don't know if I can even sustain that, but I'm trying to. I don't know what happens when she mm -hmm. gets to preschool. Mm -hmm. I've already listened to some friends in this kind of how difficult that can be, but um, that you're having that conversation now also, like when they're uh, young adults that have a lot of, some of their own thoughts and thinking, hopefully, mm -hmm. uh, is is powerful because uh, nobody's talking about this in school, and you, right. you guys have them the majority of their day yeah. from age mm -hmm. five, six years old. And that's pretty, that's a huge, not only um, opportunity, but responsibility at the same time. And uh, not everybody looks at it that way. Not everybody sees the potential that a, a young person actually has the ability to think in these ways. I think you right. also um, seem to recognize that. And not everybody wants to have to think. Mm -hmm. People want to be told it's easier. They don't have to take... Uh, be responsible or take up accountability is that who they are is that what's happening in their household mm -hmm. maybe it's a combination I don't know but like what have you you found I mean you're you're the reality is that while you're with the kids you also have to I'd, I'd like to put it in a nicer way than say deal with but you're also interacting with parents and their expectations right. you have administration in my experience I couldn't handle the pressure with <laughs> with parents administration and the kids I just wanted to focus on the kids and what they needed mm -hmm. and that's not realistic and that's one of the things right. that you know how do you um, how do you manage that you know when you because what what mm -hmm. you know my listeners are a lot a lot of their parents and a lot of moms honestly mm -hmm. who are lost in the reality of parenting and aren't sure where to put the line sometimes they get lost they don't you know they they aren't necessarily in their purpose they're trying to get back to it and 
I think a big piece of that is letting go a bit. Mm. And I watched it at ISP. I watched some very overprotective parents where I just was in my mind begging them, please recognize that your kids, you, you can let go a little more. Like right. not completely. I think you have to be aware and keep the lines, but... Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I, I, I yeah. don't want to put you in an awkward position, but no, in a way I, that you can answer, uh, I would love to hear well, your I reflections. Think, I think your point that we spend a lot of time with kids is super important. Um, and I do think that it, it's one of the things that is difficult for some parents is that the kids come home and so say, well, you know, Mr. Crane says, you know, Ooh, and I think that, right. that, that that can be difficult because we spend, like you said, eight hours or more. Some of our kids are after school, sometimes robotics club, drama club until nine, ten at night, you know. And so you get these kids that are literally at school for longer than most people are for a work day. You know, and so um, and it's, and they're building their identity and not just with teachers, but with their friends and, you know, and all of that. Um, right, you guys are counselors, and sometimes without right, even you know. Right, and I think and I think it is important for parents to be aware of what we're doing, and that's why it's so important to have those conversations. You know, I think, um, like for me, I, I spend a lot of time showing my kids how I fail because I think that's something parents don't show their kids. Um, and so right. when when parents are giving their expectations to kids, kids often see their parents as successful and you know, perfect. Um, they don't always like them. They argue with them, but there's still this, this feeling of for a lot of parents that they are successful, especially in our community, mm -hmm. they're moving places. And because the kids aren't home, failure can be hidden from kids, you yeah. know, because let's have this conversation before little Johnny gets home so that he doesn't have to hear us arguing about this. Mm -hmm. So like about three years ago, I started going back to the gym. And so we were doing, for example, this obesity unit. I talked a lot to my students about what it was like as a 50-year-old to go back to the gym um, where, you know, you're, you're standing next to someone who is, you know, 15 years younger than you or 20 years younger than you who is pressing 20, 30, 40 kilos and I'm working with a trainer and he said, let's start with one. And I think, well, that will be easy and I have no technique and I can't lift it. And I'm like, oh my God. And how discouraging that is. Mm. Um, and, I, and, it, and it really got me thinking a lot about as I was doing it, why do I give up? Why do I get discouraged? Um, and, that, and those kind of questions I, I've asked my students. And I think that by sharing with my failures, I think we've become closer and are able to work together and learn together because we talk about those things. But I also think when it comes to parents, one of the things they want their kids to be is empowered. But I think it's sort of like Pandora's box. We want to empower <laughs> kids. But personally, I think one of the greatest yeah. empowerments is that a kid can say no. Mm -hmm. And this is where not only parents, but teachers have a problem. Because in a school like ours, we have only, I think you know our high school is like maybe 350 students. So unlike a big US high school, like if you're the football coach, uh, where do you find your football team? Because they're the same kids who are in the drama, they're in Earth Club, they're doing all these activities. So there's a lot of, hey, why are you not in Earth Club this year? Hey, are you not going oh. out for the football team? Yeah. And I think that one of the things we really need to work on with our kids in our school is the empowerment to say, you know what, I love playing football, but I've decided it doesn't work for me this year. But most kids can't do that, you know? And so one of the great skills I think we, mm. we foster in kids is the ability to say, this is what I can handle, and no, I, I'm not going to do that. And I think that's a great skill, but sometimes I think with parents what happens is the parents have a dream, and now the kid says, no, I really don't want that dream. You know, I think, and I think that 
if a kid's really empowered, then that means they also learn how to communicate that effectively. They don't do it in a moment of anger. They don't do it as a way to punish their parents. Um, but they're still teenagers, you know, and I think um, there's this weird thing about teenagers. People either think that, you know, they're just kids. They don't know anything. They're all stupid, which I totally disagree with, you know. <laughs> Me too. Um, the flip side is there's the other group that says they're adults and they're also not that. They're, they're this wonderful mix of children and adults. They're wise fools, as the word sophomore means, right? Um, and so I think that for them, sometimes they don't communicate well. And I think that that's... You know, I think so. I think for parents, the hardest thing is to be able to listen um, and try to really understand what are they really saying to me. Um, and sometimes that means that just like we teach the kids, that use the resources in your community. Like if you need to tell your parents you need to drop out of your AP or IB classes because you're just too stressed and you feel it's hurting your sense of self, well, practice with a guidance counselor, practice with the teacher, practice with friends how you're going to talk about this with your parents instead of just a flippant comment or in anger uh, but i think sometimes parents also have to think about like saying well, all right well let me let me think about that and then talking to a good friend like you know my son wants to drop out of this really competitive program and then really think about like what are you worried about i'm worried that he's closing a door that means he's gonna be penniless like okay well let's talk about that is that a realistic fear or not and i think that that our school has a really good thing with the kids through our advisement program we don't necessarily have the best thing with parents parents support each other but there's not always that ability or parents don't usually come to teachers some do to say i'm concerned about this what should i do um and we don't have answers we just have suggestions you know and um, i have a, a parent that came to me last year who's who's got two children and one is brilliant she is ready to go and do whatever she wants in her life. And the son is completely the opposite. And he has one love, he plays volleyball and he's the best volleyball player in the world. But that's really all he's got going for him. And unfortunately, when it comes to report cards, volleyball just doesn't stand out as, wow, you know, his rest of his grades, he, he's getting by, but barely. Um, and the problem is that she wants her daughter to help her son because she sees that that's the values of the family. And I totally agree, families should help each other. But sometimes you have to remember, she's, she's ninth grade. So she is becoming herself. She is learning how to handle confidence and the sense of, of potential, etc. And so when she talks to her brother, it, it's just awful. And of course, he's developing a sense of self. And the last thing he wants is his sister, you know, helping him. And, and I think sometimes all you have to say to a parent is, you know what? it's completely normal that they fight like cats and dogs. Like, like put yourself in your son's position. If you've got an older brother or sister, imagine them being the best in the class and imagine them being in ninth grade. How do you think that brother or sister would have handled it? And I think sometimes parents just need to step back for just a second because I think that our expectations of kids are really high. Um, and I, they're kids. <laughs> you know, they are so, still kids. Yeah. I mean, I, it, I think it's, it is a very, um, it is a difficult balance to, to find, you know, to respect them enough to have the conversation, mm -hmm. but in the end, you still might need to, you know, make a decision or guide, right. guide the decision or, you know, you still need to support them as growing humans, not uh, that aren't necessarily, you know, 40 years old in their minds and right. all the, it's not just about the age, it's about experience, which is just a fact that you can have some really wise souls that come and, 
and they know a lot, but they're still meant to be, there's a reason why there's parents until right. a certain age, and while it can be annoying, and I remember being, you know, 16 and thinking, I knew everything, and I don't need my mom, and mm -hmm. don't try to tell me what to do. At the same time, you know, there are those moments that you need to fall into their arms, and you need to know that those arms are there, right. and that you can be honest, and, and even when you have a really good relationship with your parent or parents, and they're around and you're around, it's still hard. I've listened to small children talk about how they don't want to disappoint their parents. Oh, absolutely. And even if the parent doesn't have as much attachment about something as they think they do, there can still be a whole story happening up there according to what they've experienced. They, they're sure that if they don't do this, their parent's going to completely be sad and they don't mm -hmm. want that and whatnot. So there's a combination of, of things. And I've definitely, you know, I have a countless friends who who you know uh, were dealing with very high expectations or ideas you know Mats is one of them and I know that after this conversation I can already hear the conversation that he will start mm -hmm. because his father wanted two Olympians oh mm -hmm. so he and his sister were were treated quite equally in many ways they were out there this guy did not know how to sleep in because his whole life pretty much since he was very tiny they were out training mm -hmm. at five mm -hmm. o'clock in the morning and then they trained again and it was I'm like so what did you do on the weekend did you go to games did you do that no we trained so you know then that's it that was really about you know now on, on one hand the, the dad had a very like, clear view this is I'm gonna have two Olympians uh, and maybe this was his dream as we were talking about before right. at the same time he did instill just impeccable um, integrity and uh, a value system in other ways that was just mm -hmm. maybe had to do with you know being in sports I, I can't say exactly I was I never was a big sports person myself you know right. I like to ski and snowboard or whatever but I wasn't you know playing basketball so I don't know but but uh, you know it's I watched this with so many friends growing up and I think oh, how can they do that but I get that people get attached to something and mm -hmm. sometimes their vision isn't so clear they right. forget to maybe ask is that something that you'd actually like to do, <laughs> you know, or how's that going? Or do you still feel that? Or I think right. there's a lot of, a lot of things. And I know I get it. Like there's, I've watched, uh, whatever school a kid is in, I, you know, people are busy and mm -hmm. we try to engage the best we can with our kids and we're going to screw it up sometimes. And right. then there are those who know, but they, they don't care because they have a vision and they want, you know, there, there's a combination for mm -hmm. sure. Um, but you know, hopefully you find the balance the best you can between right. the parents. And I know also in in a private school, it's it's super challenging as well because you've got them paying different things. There's a lot of politics going on. I remember that being a big conversation of like, can I want to say this to the parent? Can I? And some feel more right. empowered, some less, depending on the situation. But uh, well, you know. 34, th 33 years in the school almost. Like the, I'm the old man at school, right? <laughs> so um, do you so, feel confident to say it to all parents? I, like what's going on? I, I think what. I think I'm pretty good at talking to parents about those things, and I think that I have the luck of being known in the school as the old man of the school, even though I'm not quite <laughs> that old yet. No. So, um, but I do think that the parents I catch off guard most often are the ones who have the A student, uh, because I, I, I don't believe that we should always tell kids what they can do to improve. There's sort of like that model out there, that growth model that says, even if your child is perfect in chemistry, there's always something she could do better, right? So what could she do better? Uh, so what I tend to do is not talk about that because I think it's rubbish. And I actually, in some cultures that we work with, the parents actually will get a tutor 
you know, their kid's getting a perfect score in the class, but you say, well, I guess she could work on this. The next thing you know, they're out getting a tutor for the kid, you know, and you're like, oh my God, that wasn't the intention at all. Wow. So what I tend to do, especially with my girls, is we have a lot of girls who are very bright, uh, but will defer to the males in the classroom, will often be passive in discussions. And so the conversation I often have with parents is, I think Arielle is absolutely wonderful. I think she knows her concept. She's a good critical thinker. She's an amazing writer, but she's not assertive enough. And I want to have her have a voice because if she doesn't have it in a safe group of 15 kids in the classroom, what's going to happen when she goes to university and she's sitting in a lecture hall of 200 or, you know, so, so, and I think those kind of things sometimes catch parents off guards Mm -hmm. because that I think that when they come to school, they see as much as they don't would never probably say this. There still is this thing about their performance in class rather than the whole person. Mm-hmm. And I think when we look at the whole person to be able to talk about their child's attributes in that way, for some parents, is the only time I get some kind of raised eyebrows, like oh. And usually they're thankful, uh, but there is sometimes the. And, and I'm not saying that's a kid who's a real introvert. If it's a kid is a real introvert, then I recognize that and there's ways to encourage them as well but but I'm talking about the kid who actually is outgoing but you watch a conversation or a debate in the classroom and all of a sudden they defer and you're like you don't have to do that you actually know more than that bloke over there does so let him hear your argument so yeah it's interesting to hear that that's something that you know since my time it it, some things don't seem to change I don't know if it's a primal thing or you know hormonal mixed with primal what what there's society is not changed that much but I can remember there's a certain age at which that shifted and I remember reading in my psychology books and being super annoyed that I felt so cliche all of a sudden because there was some time you know around 12 and then again sophomore year I remember there was another shift and I think it was Maybe somebody made a comment, oh, you think you're so smart. Or there was a boy I like who was threatened by, you know, me being three years ahead in math, you know, or something like that. Right. And then suddenly, you know, you find yourself doing things. I remember I look back and I think, oh, no, why did I do that? But it, it, it still happens. And, right. oh, wow, it's still happening. Okay. Well. And it's hard <laughs> because, because other areas, I, I, I think that, like, we look at sexuality in the schools, there's so much more tolerance for that now. Um, and it surprises me that the gender issue, I feel, has gotten better than it was when I first started teaching 30 years ago. But still, you how, see... How do you see it? I'm just... Uh, that a lot of the girls are deferring to the boys okay. and not okay. having the kind of voice that they should have. The flip side is there's so much more tolerance in the classroom for alternative sexuality. Mm-hmm. The question of gender is a sense of... I'm binary or I'm not going to express a gender. Right. Kids are totally fine with that. Yeah. But the, but it's interesting that this this male female thing continues to be to be an issue. Um, and it's funny because I've had so many, especially girls, say to me, "Mr. Crane, that was your generation. We're not like that anymore." Um, and <laughs> a, I see it in the classroom. But b, unfortunately, I've had girls come back to school or write me on whether it be on you know Facebook Messenger or whatever, and say, "I went for my first job interview and the guy put his hand on my leg." You know, or I went to my first job interview. There were two men in the room and me. I couldn't get a word in edgewise, you know. And so so there is, unfortunately, when they leave, the realization that... Mm-hmm. And that's why I believe it's so important for our girls to be empowered in the classroom before they leave. Um, and the parents are important in, in encouraging that, you know. So, you know, when, when you say to a girl, like, I'd like to hear your voice more. When dad says, well, Ariel's always quiet. Well, that, that doesn't help. 
you know yeah. it'd be better right. to say wouldn't that be interesting for you to try that or we could practice some of that at home you know those those would be the better responses but sometimes parents actually give the escape clause for the kid oh i want to work on that now because dad just says i'm really quiet uh, but it also affirms in the kid that that's the way they are and that they can't change and that's something i don't believe in um, so even though i believe in introverts and extroverts i also believe that introverts can learn to be expressive when they have to and extroverts can learn to be quiet when they have to um, and if we don't teach kids that i think we're they're losing out big time oh i absolutely agree with that as a person who is an introvert but has learned to be an extrovert because I watched my mom suffer when mm -hmm. I was younger now she's some things are changing in her brain so she's become really outgoing oh, compared I mean I say really outgoing but she has social gatherings and things that she didn't when I was younger but I watched her really suffer being mm -hmm. so internal and all the process that was happening inside of that yeah you, I, I think you can definitely learn I don't think you know Mats and I often have a discussion about changing and I personally am a firm believer. I don't think we necessarily change who we are, but we definitely right. work, we can work with and create awareness and, and find some tools that work for us, like how to right. manage and, and uh, be in different situations. Ella is a massive extrovert. So mm -hmm. for her, she just wants to be with people and talking from morning until night. And we also talk about how important quiet time is and when someone else is speaking and all these things granted she's three but we're mm -hmm. still working on it because I think there's no you know no, it's never too early and she's uh, definitely wants to be the one talking and whatever all the time but yeah I, I think it's uh, it's essential that people even recognize that people can um, learn to be different and I think right. that our families well you know we all know this families see you in a certain way and then it doesn't right. change often you right. know decades later you're gonna be 60 and they're still like no well you know mm -hmm. she doesn't do that you know? oh, I always <laughs> love it when you're like at a parent conference and you say something like you know Ariel in class she's so bubbly she brings so much positive energy to the class and the parents are looking at you like do you have the wrong kid? You know, if they're looking at you like, that's not our kid. And I'm like, yeah, no, that, that's your kid. Um, and I think wow. that's a really wonderful thing for parents to hear because sometimes the kid they see at home is the kid who's come home after a whole day of school and then drama practice. They're tired. They're cranky. What'd you do at school today? Nothing, you know, and actually, um, they actually do have that other side. And so, you know, helping parents to understand maybe why their kid is like that. Maybe it's not that they really are this totally angry sturm und drang kind of teenager but actually they're just tired you know and and it also might be the dynamic that is in their family to so to speak as well like how they relate to one another i mean you, you really notice it when kids are tiny because right. you you see how they flip you know ella will be completely melting down with me about something and then three seconds later she's fine when she walks out the mm -hmm. door or I used to see it when I would occasionally teach preschool at the at ISP. The kids would be completely self-sufficient all day, talking in class. They could mm -hmm. do everything they needed to do in the bathroom and the whatever. When they're little, you like you really see every little detail. And then you, the parent comes, puts a diaper on them, and like the kid just completely becomes a different person. Right. And I would think, okay, that's interesting. But you know, right. you don't know their whole story, and you just maybe they're going to drive in the car for three hours. I don't know. But, yeah. you know, uh, so, when they're see, older, it, it's you don't see them as much. You don't necessarily see all of that. See, and, unfortunately, still... schools can't do what would be the ideal because there's just not enough time in the day. But if there was enough time in the day, what you would do is on a weekly basis, you would communicate with the parents. This is what your kids do this week. And the parents write back what the kid was doing at home all week because 
Uh, and you can't do that. I mean, I teach, what, 85 kids. Oh I'm not gosh, no way. That, right? <laughs> but what I find at parent conferences, and this is why it's so important for parents to go to conferences, mm. is that when I'm, like, talking to a parent, I've got this kid who never says anything in class, is really quiet, is doing all their work. You're looking at them thinking, do you care? Like, are you here? And then you go to a parent conference and they say, oh, my God, Mr. Crane, we've learned so much psychology. Just the other day, you know, Ariel was talking about this. And, and you're like... Wow, it, it actually is, getting, is yeah. getting in there. And not only that, she's so excited. She's been reading. She's actually been reading this book. And of course, the kid is sitting there totally embarrassed that the parents are telling you this. But you're like, oh, I'm so glad to know that because there's yeah. no way for me in that window of the classroom. And I don't know why she doesn't speak. It might be it might be she doesn't like speaking in a crowd. Maybe the family is a safe space, but the classroom is not. I don't know. Mm -hmm. but, um, but that's why that interaction with parents is so important. And when parents don't come for conferences and I know conferences can be very stressful for parents because all the news is not always good um, but it does it allows teachers to learn about the kid and not just parents to learn about their performance and that that knowledge about a kid is really super important because if the parents are like yeah she doesn't talk at home either then we've got a different picture of a kid than one that's really bubbly at home and excited but quiet in the classroom and then it makes me wonder Am I intimidating? Is the classroom intimidating? How can I get this kid? And then maybe put that student in charge of a small group to do something. And then all of a sudden you notice they get to show their potential in that in that group, which they don't show in the bigger classroom setting. Do are there have you seen it where certain parents just don't come at all or they only come sometimes to the conferences? Because you have them twice a year or yeah, twice a year. We have them yeah. three times, we have them twice a year. Um, I would say at our school we're very lucky. We have a about 80 to 90 percent of our parents that come oh, wow. um, but we have we our parent conferences have the kids come as well okay. uh, so if there was something very serious about a kid we would call a conference not on conference day okay. uh, so it could be private and usually involves more than one teacher it might involve the principal or the counselor uh, so at these conferences even though we might be talking about you know Matt's not doing his homework, mm -hmm. which might not be seen as positive. We're not going to say we think Matt's has a learning disorder. That would be a special conference. So, so these conferences could be difficult, but they're not like, like world changing or transformative right. in the sense of a, a, a negative, like, oh, wow, we have to rethink things. Um, but we do see kids who come by themselves. Uh, because they want to know, they want to hear what the teacher goes. Because one of the things that happens at these conferences is teachers say a lot of nice things about the kids, and, and it's really important for kids to hear that. And is that know? okay? Like, if they show up on their own, like, will you guys still talk to them? And that's yeah, but I think like that's why dynamic. they come. I think okay. they they want to know, you know, yeah. because I, even though we give them feedback constantly at school, there's something special about conferences, and when their parents are there in front of their parents, we can say, Ariel is my best critical thinker I've got, or I'm so impressed with how much progress Stanislav has made, yeah. you know? And, and that in front of the parents is real validation of what they've been doing. It's also good for, the, for them to make a plan with the teacher in front of their parents when there's a problem. Okay. You know, it gives them a sense of, my parents now support this, the teacher supports this, we're gonna try this. Yeah. So, so I think that's really important. So when parents don't go, it's yeah. hard. We, we had this, you know, as a bonus parent, you know, there's, <clears throat> there were often interesting dynamics inside of our blended family. And right. uh, uh, I don't know exactly how it is now, but I know that it was really challenging for Masa's ex to go to, uh, she didn't go to, to the parent-teacher conferences. Mm -hmm. 
Um, probably that was his job. She is a very internal person, so maybe it was super stressful. I think about, so I, I really have become hyper aware because I can't imagine it for me. I have friends who are introverted, but they were like, you know, take a few deep breaths, deep in, in a bag, right. you know, and they would go in, even though it was very stressful for them because they had to as a parent. And I, it kind of woke me up a little bit. Like she must really be struggling to not be able to go in there for her child, who I know she loves with her heart and soul. Mm. And I think that must be challenging when there's whatever issue inside of the parent to be able to show up, not be able to show up for their kid and how that is for the kid. It's stressful for them, but it's also stressful for the parent. And what other way is there a way to do it? Like, would there ever be an option to do, I don't know, a, a, a digital version of that? If there was a really internal parent and there was an option, like, for, you know, if they're not for everyone, but like if somebody's really struggling and you've seen, like, now it's three years this kid's been in the school and the parent's never coming, like, would that, is there ever that, as an internal person, I start thinking about, like, is there an option? Granted, you have a big, heavy schedule so you can't like really well, cater to everyone but if there was a situation like this where you think like I really want to have a conversation with this person would there be well, like a zoom video yeah. that you could do or I don't know well, as an institution <laughs> we've really tried to figure out like what are the barriers to parent conferences and I think that's why we have such a high percentage okay. right now so one of the you were thoughtful about how to right. really so make we got successful. translators for example okay uh, but I'll give you a good example wow. of why the translators didn't always work so for Russians it works brilliantly uh, because the Russian comes in, they don't speak English. Uh, we have secretaries at school that also speak Russian. They do the translation. Uh, because even though the child is there, uh, especially if it's not a good conference, that puts the kid in a very yeah. strange position. Oh, I wow. need to now translate that if I don't start doing some work, I'm going to fail this course. That's like, you know, so that's, <laughs> and as a teacher, you really don't know whether they're yeah, translating that's... correctly or not in most cases. Yeah. So for Russians, it seems very fine. For a lot of our Asian parents, though, it's very difficult because there's a whole issue of face. And so mm. when you have to have another Korean in the community translate that your son is really struggling, that is humiliating, you know? And so so we've had to try to find other ways to, to deal with this. Um, and, and some of that is, for example, writing out our reports in English and having them translated by a Korean family member, but not knowing who the family is. Okay. And then being able to get that information out to the parents. I mean, it's not a face-to-face -face conference. Right. It's written, but it still allows then communication without humiliation. They get right? to save face. Not, another parent right. who they see in breakfasts or whatever, you know, for parents isn't going to be looking at them like, oh... Right, exactly. That's the one. With yeah, yeah, that's mm. the one. Yeah, and I, and okay. I think different cultures handle things differently. I think a lot of parents in the West, we know parents struggle, and I know not every parent would want everybody to know what's going on with their kid either. But I think we're more there's less of that sense of shame because your kid isn't doing really good work. Because uh, often with our Asian community, it's not that the kid is failing; it's just that they're struggling, um, and that's a normal part of learning. We learn because we struggle, right? Um, but that's really hard for a lot of our Asian parents and so we've had to find ways to to cope with that and I think that's something that schools should do better which is to try to find as you're saying a way yeah. to how do we make sure now we can't deal with every single parent there's gonna always be the parent that no matter what we do says I'm not going to the yeah. school I'm not gonna to talk to the teachers yeah. but if you can at least say we've made our best effort then I think you're a good school so 
That's great that you guys do that. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm sad that not all schools on the planet have the budget for this kind of thing when there's this kind of issue coming up with language and culture but, but, and whatnot. But that's but... volunteer in our community. Okay. Yeah, I know it's okay. parents that volunteer to do that. Oh, that's yeah. great. But that, you know, it actually, I, I think to myself, wow, I should tell my friend about that, mm. see if they could, you know, where you make it anonymous and they could help. And a lot of people want to help too, you right. know, so that could be really powerful, but I'm, I'm glad that you're bringing that up. It's just something that, you know, buzzes around in my mind. How do you come up with solutions for different kinds of people right. to support, you know, family support one another? And, but I don't want to keep things too long, but I did want to just check in with, with one thing, like, because uh, you have a lot of conversations with your kids. I don't know if this kind of thing would come up, but, you know, because we're focused, I'm focused a lot these days on parents and purpose, mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, Maybe it's more for the younger kids. I'm not sure with older kids, but there are some people who are so, they've gotten so overly focused or they've lost their sense of balance inside the family that they're, you know, I'm going to take care of my kids until they're out of the house kind of thing. And uh, what is your opinion or what do you think from listening to your kids or your knowledge of people? What do you think about, isn't it ultimately a, a parent who is, empowered and on their path and doing something that brings them joy isn't that going to actually feed the family and the kids I mean as far as uh, or do you think it would be um, taking away focus from the kids in their last years of being at home like I don't know it's kind of a complicated question but I guess I'm, I'm wondering what uh, what do you think to kids today because you're with mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the kids I haven't been around kids this age for you know 10 years now what do you think of this particular group of kids that you've, they're all different, they're absolutely, like you can't speak for all children or, or young adults, but how do you think, like are they looking at that, do you think that's important, do they care, do they want their parent just to be dedicated only to them, do you, what's your opinion? Um, uh, it sort of goes back to the conversation we had earlier, yes. which was when you go to a parent conference and you find out that you know, that they go home and talk about psychology all the time. You're like, really? I didn't know they were doing that because they're so quiet in the classroom. It's one of those things where I always say I wish sometimes parents could see what their kids say about them in the classroom or they say about them in an advisory group. Because very often they're like, oh, my dad's really good at that. My dad does that. Or my mom, she's really, she just reads everything about Russia. She knows Russian history so well. She just loves it. She told me this great story. You know, and I think sometimes parents don't know that their kids, like, are watching them you know they actually know what they're doing they get it yeah. um and and so i think that it what gets empowered students is empowered teachers what creates empowered children is empowered parents mm -hmm. um obviously it can't be a competition with a kid it can't be a way that somehow disempowers the student or the yeah. child but i think parents as role models of a healthy balanced life that sets goals and tries to reach them as i said earlier shares failures and says oh i was trying to do this but i didn't make it and coping with that and realizing it's not about me being a terrible person. It's just that I, I couldn't reach the goal I wanted to. So I'm going to read. I mean, all of that, I think, is, is great for kids. It's a really yeah. good role model. I think when parents try to be too perfect or they, they put all of their energy into their child instead of into themselves, mm -hmm. I think that's counterproductive. Yeah, we, we just, thank you. Uh, we just had, not long ago, on... Uh, Holly and Chris Santillo, they uh, wrote a book called Resilience Parenting, actually geared towards teachers and or teaching, using teaching moments. And that's, uh, they have a dojo, or actually three of them, is that right? 
they're working in martial arts, and so they're working from oh, that okay. that angle. And one of the things that you first teach is how to fail or how to fall, and mm -hmm. and they talk a lot about that. And it really made an impression on me because, yeah, I, a lot of us think that we should, you know, look, this is how it's done, and you know, uh, forget how important it is to let your kids or your the people around you see right. you fall. And uh, the other thing that comes out when you were talking is that recently uh, I got into a program. It's coaching and an accelerator program around your purpose and business and mm. life. And because I'm working with people doing this, this is like an intensified version of it in 12 weeks. And one of, whew, and one of the, uh, in the middle of a move, it's fantastic, mm. a crazy person, yes I am. But one of the things that uh, she, she's had us do twice, which I think would be an amazing thing to do with our kids if they felt they could be honest, mm -hmm. is um, approaching five people and asking them like who you're the go-to person or what they think of or you know what, what yeah what comes to mind when they think of you and I've been surprised some things didn't surprise me but some things I was I felt tentative about asking people because then you have to be ready for what's gonna come of course people aren't gonna say oh she's so boring and she talks all the time but but still you know there's that tension of what might come but it would be amazing I, I hope that I can be brave enough to do that with Ella when she's older mm. like what do you see and what do you appreciate or what helps you but I, I know that the dynamics in a family don't maybe always True. open it up to that but when you made the comment about what the kids say in the classroom I think that would be so amazing if if both sides could hear it uh, mm. we once did um, one thing that I do with organizations and I also did with kids when I was a uh, facilitator in a youth group which was doing okay. education in the community. The beginning of the every year, we would take cards mm -hmm. and we would put, have people put their names on it, really giant cards. And on one side, we would pass it around and say, just fill out this side. And people would write, basically, there were assumptions. You don't know this person at all. You just met them. What do you think of who they are? Maybe they've seen them once or twice. Mm -hmm. And they write like all the things they think about those people in the room. And then by the end of the year, we did it again. And it was really powerful because mm -hmm. sometimes people would be crying because, yeah. you know, it, you know, people would say, oh, knows it all, perfect, you know, mm -hmm. da, 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 all these nasty things sometimes. And then by the end, like, in, you know, introverted, <laughs> no, this right. and that. And, you know, you really see like, wow, I didn't realize I was putting that out there. And this group, which is small, they're getting to know me from the inside out because we're doing this deep work. And then they got to see this. Ooh, what am I? What's the message I'm putting out versus who I really am? And right, right. I, it would be amazing to do this with our, our kids and vice versa, to give well, that without them feeling the pressure somehow. I mean, in our school, we do something similar to that. In yeah. our advisory for grade 11, uh, which I'm in charge of, we we do this thing. Uh, and I only say that because everybody's in charge of different things. I'm only in okay. charge of grade 11. I don't <laughs> okay. mean to say like, I'm in charge of it. But, <laughs> oh, right. You know, like, that's, that's what I, I, I work with. Um, and we do this thing where the kids, they've known each other, many of them for years now in our school. Remember, we're a small school. Uh, we have an advisory program that starts all the way in grade six, so by the time in grade 11, they've been with these, this group for a long time. Uh, and we do this activity where they just, they take post-it notes and we put everybody's name around the room. It's sort of like all around the room, people's names are around and they take post-it notes and put their characteristics and traits. And kids are always very surprised by, I mean, the thing is, the reason it's so difficult to do this with kids is you have to have a safe space. Yeah. And a lot of schools don't have safe spaces. No. And so, um, and what I would say is even in our school, there would be advisory groups where they would say, I I'm not going to do that activity in my group. 
because they knew they weren't there yet and that there would be kids who might say things that would be hurtful and we don't mm -hmm. that's not the goal we can have things that are critical which says that sometimes you can be really cynical mm -hmm. that's fine i mean I know that about myself. I can be very cynical <laughs> at times, right? So, so, and it's good for kids to be able to hear that. That that's so. That's a fine thing. We can talk about that. Like, like, ever one girl saying, like, really, people think that sometimes I can be a little uh, aloof. Um, and I was like, yeah, I can see that. And we laughed. She's like, well, I don't mean to be. I'm like, well, yeah, but you do it, right? And so, but it was an yeah. environment where you could have that conversation, and yeah. you know, it is being aloof a, a good thing, a bad thing, a neutral thing, you know, and opens the know, conversation open, to exactly get into it. What that um, means. But you don't want kids writing things, uh, especially about people's physical traits or things like that. And I think younger grades that might happen, or in a group of kids that that just haven't gelled. And so I think. It's difficult. I think with adults, many of them come in voluntarily, or at least if you're required by your boss to do it, and everybody knows I'm not going to write something really nasty because I'll lose my job, right? So there is <laughs> there is a filter there that helps that's absent in schools. Uh, but I had the personal experience of a couple of years ago, it was two years ago now, um, I was doing a workshop for teachers, uh, and many of them I had worked with for years and years and years and years. So we were in Barcelona, and I said, let's go out for dinner. And um, since I knew so many of them, we got this 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 space with like 20 seats for us to sit. And we, we sat at this weird kind of like almost executive table, all 20 <laughs> of us had tapas. Um, but then one of them stood up and rang the little or clicked her glass and said, I'd like to just say how I met John. And then it became this like, things I have done for people and I Aww. got very it was very emotional you know even wow. though even though a lot of things if I not to boast but you you know many things about yourself you know sure. that you're trying to be compassionate you're trying to be patient but when you hear it from people and they appreciate it and they genuinely appreciate it it really it moves you Absolutely. and so I really hope that we can give that experience to kids that they can feel appreciated because I've got class sizes of 20 or less. My friends in the States have class sizes of 36 to 40. Yeah. How do you show appreciation of all 40 kids? I think you can do it, but I know all my kids. And I think that that's the advantage of a school like ours, mm -hmm. where I know them and I can, for every kid, I can tell you something that's good about them. And I can share that. Um, now, some I get the, emotional uh, hearing that because I can just imagine what a gift again like yeah. to do I, I mean I was not in a school like that and I can just imagine you know like the, I think these kids what I see is kids who in the states would be a C student maybe not going anywhere maybe a community college student in our school they're they're empowered they feel that they've got value and they're not ashamed to say you know what? I'm gonna study art or I'm gonna become an I mean I remember one of our students many years ago like I'm gonna be a busker and he busks in the city of Chicago. He makes good money. He's very happy with his life. Uh, he's now married, um, and and he's just happy. And I'm and I hope that our school fostered that environment for him to know it's like, go for your dream. Have a backup plan. <laughs> Always have a backup <laughs> wow. plan. But go for your dream. Um, and thankfully, his parents supported him. Well, that's the first thing I thought of. Is that's incredible. You know that they weren't you know, happy. You... <laughs> they weren't happy. <laughs> You know, I, I always do this thing with my kids where we, where we talk about uh, goal setting and the humanistic models of, yeah. of Carl Rogers, etc. Uh, I always do this thing where I imitate coming out to your father, you know, and I say, you know, mom and dad are there and you say, dad, I've, I've got to talk to you. There's something I'm, you know, I've always, I've always felt about myself and like mom starts weeping saying, I've always known this since you were a little boy. I've noticed this about you. And dad's like, I don't understand. What are you trying to tell me? And I always, and they're all like getting ready for the big punchline and like, I'm, I'm, a musician and the kids just fall over in their chairs <laughs> laughing and I said 
in, in some ways, that's a worse thing you tell your parents these days than I'm gay. And I think that's mm-hmm. because, and it's, but it, I think in the fundamentals, it's the same problem. We're worried about our kids. Yeah. And so when your son is gay or your daughter is lesbian, it, there's a fear factor there. Like, is he or she going to be okay? Are they going to be lonely? Are they going to be ostracized? Are they right. going to have problems in the workplace? And the same thing when our kids want to pursue dreams, like I want to be a film director. It's like, really? Like, there are five or six a year that might become famous and make a living. Like, are you going to be living at home until you're 30? You know, and so I think that, you know, once again, it's about parents communicating. We want to support you, but here are our concerns. And we're not saying this to demotivate you. We'll be there to support you, but you need to know this is what we're worried about. We would like you to do a little, maybe a few precautions, you know, so... (laughs) Um, but if they can still let them go forward, I mean, then that's that's right. great. I mean, it's ironic because my coach, I've never found a coach that I clicked with as much as this woman. Mm-hmm. She is the one on the other side of that conversation who says, stop listening to that. No, she, she encourages creatives right. because she's trying to shift people's um, awareness that uh, creatives don't have to be poor. You don't have to right. be a broke musician or a whatever. And... It's absolutely true that many people aren't, but part of that is that, you know, we have this idea that it means that you don't charge for things or you don't find creative ways to use your talents that actually can support you. So it's just made me laugh because Kathy Heller is all into this conversation these days. So, but no, that's amazing. I'm surprised and and happy to hear that uh, kids feel that empowered to follow their dreams. and, And because I often saw also a lot of the private school reality is that you know you have to go a certain way so mm-hmm. it's sort of nice to hear that well we have those too <laughs> we have those too but i i want to let you go because it's been uh you know i've kept you here a long time and i'm so thankful for all the things that you had to uh, open so openly shared with us but um i would just ask you leave us with one uh, if you could give parents any advice uh, or maybe even it's young adults listening but if you if you give parents any advice or last words uh, if they could soak it in from somebody who's around their kids um, all day, <laughs> seven days, five days a week, sometimes longer. Um, well, I think I think for both students and parents, when kids are 17, 18 years old, and because th- these are those are the huge crossroads of life. I mean, it's the, one of the first ones, I think, as far as making a lot of their own decisions. I think there needs to be a, a level of friendship there in parenting, which means that like if your friend came to you and said this is what i'm thinking of doing how would you respond to your friend versus i'm the one that gave birth to the child this is my responsibility we have responsibilities to our friends too but sometimes we frame that we frame those very differently and i think when when your kid sees you or as as part of their team working with them then then even if they fail they're going to be fine but then they just feel a sense of that's the real empowerment, something I can't give a kid. I can't give a kid when when all is said and done, they graduate. But no matter what, even when they move out of the house, they're still your kid. And I think that that, that friendship is the most important gift you can give them. Great. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> okay. And is there any way that uh, people would, if they wanted to check in with you or, or see what you're up to? I know that you've written books and you teach the teachers <laughs> and I don't know how big you are into social media but how could people find you if they wanted to connect in with you um, we have teachers listening oh you know. <laughs> um, I can be reached by email simple because uh, I'm at uh, what am I at now <laughs> crane c-r-a-n-e-j-p at icloud.com um, I'm also jcrane66 on Facebook super I'll, I'll also include those in our notes and have you send those make sure I have all the spelling right so don't right. worry 
All right. Well, thank you. And thanks, everybody, for listening. And have a beautifully imperfect day. You too. <laughs> so that was John Crane, a longtime friend and colleague. What an amazing teacher. Oh, he's an incredible person. You know? Yeah, he's an incredible person. Now, yeah. I, would, I mean, I would have loved to have a, a teacher like that when I was in school. Yeah, well, you know, it's funny because when I, you know, he's talking about the journey that he's on and where he is now and how his teaching is. And, you know, when I first met him, it was sort of like my first interview with, first conversation with, here on IP uh, with um, Lisa. I, the first moment she scared me. Like, the first moment I met John, he's very intense. <laughs> soul and I was sort of whoa you know who is this guy and I I got really to know him first through his lessons because uh, I subbed for him and I was just whoa I you know he's teaching this and I never I never had a moment where I, I didn't learn something myself yeah. and after having gone to school and continuing my own education just the way, watching him the way he uh, was teaching from and getting to an inside view on it, not just hearing it from the kids or what he talked about it. Um, you know, that was kind of a, a starting of the process. And then, you know, over the years we became closer and, mm-hmm. um, you know, engaged in, you know, the personal side of things, you know, meeting outside of school. And then of course I, I stopped working there. So, you know, we got to continue our evolution of a friendship in different yeah. ways, but no, he's a super dynamic person. I don't know one person who um, isn't impressed or, you know, you know, I don't know anybody who doesn't have a strong impression of him. You know, they, everybody respects him. Like, I don't know one teacher who doesn't respect him. You know, I have had moments where he, you know, he scared me. Like I said, like where some kids are, they're not afraid of him, but they at the same time know that they're going to, at least in the past, would have to work really hard for him. And I, I actually think that that's a very essential piece that you can be a person who's working with kids not just teaching at them but with them but at the same time instilling respect for the process and the the learning and uh, keeping kids accountable and I think that there are a lot of kids in the in school in general but in the international school system I did notice that there were you know there are handfuls of kids here and there who nobody really holds them fully accountable mm-hmm. and some kids somehow not so much in ISP you see it on other schools um, you know, you don't see too many people sliding through here, uh, but I appreciated that he kept that balance of sort of nurturing and, you know, responsibility and, you know. And do you all, do you have always psychology as a subject in, in, uh, in high school in, in, in no. US? No, you don't always, but it's, it's again. Because we, don't, is... we, we didn't have that, and I would have loved to have psychology, like, as, as he teaches you to learn about yourself. As a, I would have traded... A lot of other subjects for that. We had in school, I don't remember there being a psychology class, except we had one in, I think, sophomore year. I took it, which was called Psychology of Living. But that was sort of a combination of, it was about relationships and sex. That There was like everything inside of that. It was a little bit different. This takes it to another level. But that's also about who you have available, how they think and how they do things. Yeah. There's a lot of people who do straight out of the textbook and then, you know, not that many people want to sign up for that class but people do they know that they're going to have an experience yeah. with John this mindful um, eating moment they did I think that is mm. uh, it, it's well it made so, me think of you so much yeah, in that moment uh, and Ella and you know it's so valuable I think to do that at a, at a young age uh, because I've, whatever 
eating habits they develop, I think that that class or that experience will always uh, stay with them to to uh, taste what you eat and to put labels on it. And, and even uh, if it doesn't fully get in now because they don't have any issues in the moment that they're aware of, yeah, there'll be a point when when they flash back on it. It will yeah. come back. And, you know, I thought of you because we watched The Peaceful Warrior, you know, which was based on Dan Millman. Yeah, um, yeah exactly. His experience. Beautiful that, film. And, and uh, there's that moment where he's just, Joy brings the, the bowls of food, the kind of like a Buddha bowl type of thing, and he just shovels it in like an animal. And, you know, and, and, you know the sage is kind of looking at him like, you know, are you tasting the food? You know, experiencing he's not intuitively or mindfully eating at all. Yeah. And it made me think of that because I think that is um, a symbol in our life for many things that we don't fully experience and enjoy and, and really we aren't present fully for them. Yeah. Um, in our lives, we just kind of go to the next thing or, you know, eat to be done okay I eat I ate now moving on so that's how I eat most of the time <laughs> <laughs> well I think we all and I I wouldn't have said that in the past that I ate like that but I definitely with Ella yeah. there's often it's you know eating in the gap when she's she's focused on something else and often I'm interrupted a thousand times so I have eaten faster in the last three years than I used to I'm definitely less mindful I used to really have this whole thing in fact I, I think of Christina and Bellinas uh, because Ages ago, we used to all, you know, we would sort of reiki our food, thank the food for what it was giving us, and uh, vice versa, like the, just sort of this exchange, and, uh, you know, be mindful when we're eating, like, don't watch the news, don't talk about stressful things, and, you know, don't rush through it, and that was back, you know, in the 90s, there was a lot, I felt more mindful, I feel now that it's really much, much more effort to stay in that place with the child. But anyway, we're getting off track a little bit. Um, but I, I, I appreciate yeah. all the things that, that John and I were talking about. And I always love these conversations because I can't, I can never do notes. I can't have uh, an agenda kind of blocked out completely. You know, you have a loose thing in your mind. We have a little, you know, an exchange um, before we meet about just approximately like kind of thing we're looking for, but it's not um, directed. And I love to always see how where things evolve and where they go in the conversation and with John it was you know such a joy very interesting and also this always learning uh, something new about him <laughs> as well y yeah I, I like the moment when he talked about the, when he's um, going to the gym and looking at the pe <laughs> people uh, ha carrying heavier lift uh, uh, weights and being younger and fitter or whatever uh, because I think I see that I see is the opposite for me the gym is a place where you can just be yourself uh, nobody looks at someone else or if you look to someone no if you look at someone else you only look at someone who is uh, bigger or, or or fitter but you nobody is looking at uh, someone who is not super fit with uh, disregard that is my I view. don't know if I agree oh, with well, that. I, that that is my because people are you are, talking about men or women I, here uh, I talking about. Are you talking uh, no, about? So, I talking. Mean, no, I talking type about. Type of thinker because I, no, it's not no, just I, men and women, but it's I, just certain thinking. Yeah, yeah, but know. I talk partially about myself, but I think also men because I think, I think people are so uh, in their own mind when they go in the gym. So even if someone is not fit, you don't care about that. You you are so focused on yourself, so you have no time to 
Uh, I, f I think it's a safe place. Uh, so, really? But, but, but I always I, felt I, it differently. Yeah, I know that most people see this, uh, feels it differently. But I, I, I think, uh, I think it's, it's not like the way people think it is. But yeah, maybe that's the key. Is what you just said is they feel it differently. Yeah. I'm trying to. I'm reflecting back because I I don't really do the gym anymore. I prefer like if I'm going to do fitness, I, I like to be outside if I can. You know these days, uh, which is ironic being in a place where it's seven months of winter. But uh, I remember when I was. I mean, since I was 18, I was going to the gym religiously, basically until I met you, almost. You know, going quite consistently. And I remember. I'm trying to think about how I felt it. I definitely felt judged because people would make comments. Granted, that was in California that I'm having that memory. People would say, oh, wow, you should be teaching aerobics or you should, you know, they'd make comments, usually not negative ones. But also myself, I remember looking around and assessing, not like, oh, you are so, you're too fat or you're too thin, but, you know, you did assess kind of a quick, you know, scan you, kind you of like who is there. You, and you do assess, but you don't judge. But I don't judge. I don't know. I can't remember yeah. if I judged. I yeah. just remember noticing the different yeah, yeah, you know, people you, around you, and comparing. And you whatnot. notice, but uh, you know that at the same time, everybody's there to 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 get better. And I I think there's a. I don't know. I've, I've, but I think it's all in our head. All this, uh, so I, I feel like I think is, most. Yeah, I think I agree yeah, with you on yeah. most of that. I think the thing that probably stands out the most are the guys that just can't get over their own reflection and are screaming when they're, which would have been you and Michael, I guess. Not the getting over your own re reflection part, but the screaming when you were doing something. Yeah, but sometimes... Michael would do that. And I, I, those guys, yeah. I would always go on the opposite side of the gym. But well, otherwise, you, you like, you're right. You need to do that. If you right. do really have it, you need to... Um, I know. I guess that's what I've heard yeah, yeah, from you, uh, but yeah, I would yeah, never have... Yeah. Uh, I just thought those guys um, were cuckoo. Another thing John said, I think it was also very interesting and, and about how um, different parents from different nationalities, when they talk via uh, interpret to the, the, the parents, to the parents who don't speak English mm, yeah exactly uh, and how was... they react so differently the Russians and the, the mm -hmm. Asians uh, it's so interesting to hear this that you have this saving face That's uh, and it's yeah. that, that it's really you, having an interpret in the middle it's not necessarily better well I mean this for, we're, for dealing some, with the saving, we're dealing with the saving face issue inside yeah. of our own family because you know we have um... who's saving face here not you and me. Ah. I'm talking about in our extended or our close kind of circle family, yeah. you know, because we've got some people from Taiwan and yeah, yeah, we've had yeah, some yeah, issues yeah, recently yeah. where someone, you know, spoke up and then, you know, how that all worked out. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's powerful. So I get it. Like it's, it, it's, it's strong. Yeah, it's strong um, yeah. But what I, I think that the thing that I walked away with other than just sort of a great feeling at the end of the conversation is, you know, um, we focus on pre on parents here, you know, and a lot of a lot of the time moms, uh, because that's me talking a lot of the time. Uh, but of course, the the truth is, there's so many people who affect our kids, and that was why for me having John on was essential because the teachers who spend so much time with our kids, you know, what's happening with them is important, and how we value and show our value of them is important, and. And we talk about purpose and path a lot. And for me, this was really showing up a lot with John as well. How, you know, he's at this point in his own journey, on his own path, and how it's affecting, you know, the way that he's working with kids and their consciousness about themselves from the inside out. It's really strong for me to hear that. And, and I feel relieved because I know that not every teacher is like him. But the fact that uh, somebody like this is working with 
the kids who are our future to be cliche, but it's true. Um, it's, it's powerful. And I hope that everyone can remember that when they're interacting with the teachers and they might be having a tough moment or um, working through something with their own kids and a teacher. I hope they can remember mm-hmm. that um, we're all on our own journey and our journeys, whether we're the parents or whoever it is that's around the kids are affecting the kids in all kinds of ways and you know, have a bit of empathy and thankfulness and gratitude and uh, see how we can all work together to raise our kids well. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's a great conversation. Thank uh, you, John. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hope all of you are doing well and uh, thank you for listening. We appreciate if any of this is interesting or, you know, ticks off something in your mind with a friend, please share this episode with someone and go to our you know, social media and make a comment or ask a question or we'd love to hear from you. See you soon. Bye. Thank you for listening to Imperfect Parenting and our Imperfect Podcast. For show notes, links to things we discussed, our blog, and more, please go to our website at www.imperfectparenting.net. If you have questions, comments, or stories you'd like to share, please go to our social media on our page or write us at info at imperfectparenting.net. We would love a review on iTunes from you and might have a couple surprises at the other side. So IP parents around the world, keep having a wonderfully imperfect day.